Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and salutations, hempsters. This is your hempstrepreneurial host again, Tyler Hemp with Hempaware Radio, here to empower your hemisphere and focus on what's most important. The reason why I do this show is to encourage and foster a paradigm shift in consciousness and manifest peace on earth through the education and utilization of industrial hemp for food, shelter, clothing, energy, and literally the thousands of other products that hemp can be made into. Because if our basic needs are met, imagine all the amazing things that we can do with our lives. To listen to past episodes, including today's show, visit the iTunes podcast library and search keyword hempaware, and you can tune in also at hempaware.com forward slash radio. Now, lastly, if you have any ideas about who you'd like to have on the show, who you'd like to hear from, what topics you'd like to hear about as it relates to hemp, uh, just give us a call, 805-410-4367, or you can also email us at hempaware.com, uh, or sorry, visit hempaware.com, go to the contact page and submit your uh curious questions or, or topics, you can also email hempaware at gmail.com. Those of you who know me closely, you know that I'm probably the least political person on the planet. And with that said, I realize that it's important to a lot of people. Um, and therefore, I, I do want to do my best to provide you with valid and inspiring information and valid information, correct information that will assist you to make the best decisions in your own life. So today's uh, show is called Prop 64, What Is It All About? And Listen Closely, California, because this is obviously a very big topic for cannabis enthusiasts, marijuana consumers, industrial hemp advocates. And so um, basically, since approximately 73% of California's registered uh, voters, or 73% of the population is registered to vote, Um, I feel that covering this topic is crucial, and being that it may greatly affect how industrial hemp as well as cannabis are regulated and treated, and to cover the devil in the details or to go over uncover the devil in the details of Prop 64 in a very short time, uh, we only have about 25 minutes today, um, I have possibly one of uh, cannabis's biggest advocates on today's show. Uh, His name is Patrick Moore. He's been in the industry working uh, to raise awareness about hemp, uh, cannabis. Um, he's been lobbying. He worked with Jack Herrera. Um, I mean, this this guy's very knowledgeable. He's he's been representing and advocating cannabis for uh, the better part of two decades, and I can tell you, he he will not stop until he drops. This man not only cares about seeking, finding, and sharing the truth. He does his absolute best to live in harmony with himself on every level and the environment, uh, especially as it relates to cannabis, as far as I've witnessed. So to get right into it, welcome aboard, Patrick. I'm so glad that you've uh, been able to join us on today's show. Oh, hemp, hemp, hooray, Tyler. What an honor to be here, and thank you for such a kind introduction. Yeah, man. So since we only have such a, a short period of time, I know we could cover so many different aspects and and details to this Proposition 64, Um, but just to kind of start the conversation off, 
since we have such you know little time, um, where can our listeners go to understand who you are and more about your background? Um, since we won't really go into too much of that today. Yeah, no, Patrick Moore. I'm at uh, Legalize2016 on Instagram. I'm Dr. Mesmer on Twitter and Patrick Moore on Facebook with a Dr. Mesmer fan page, and that's where we're doing a lot of our work. We also have No on the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. That's our Facebook page, and we have uh, No on 64, Stop Prop 64, a lot of different uh, outreaches and branches on Instagram and other social media trying to share the uh, the other side of the story as it was. Right on. Well, thank you. So in a nutshell, let's say – in less than three minutes, tell us the main points as to why you feel Prop 64 is detrimental to hemp and cannabis in California and beyond. Prop 64 is an insult to the state and its cannabis community. It is, uh, I believe, designed as a type of revenge for uh, 20 years of fair and uh, uh, equal access to cannabis, and uh, globalists have been terrified by that horrified by what we've done here in California. So this is, a, again, it's a type of getting us back. It's not only just a bad law, it's a bad law with uh, uh, teeth and vengeance in it. It's certainly the worst cannabis legalization scheme I've ever read, and I've been highly involved in this since Prop 215. Um, it, it recriminalizes cannabis in many ways that, uh, men, that, that, that Californians have become used to. We've, we've become uh, uh, almost a little spoiled in the, the type of access we have to cannabis in the state. Prop 215 was a brilliant law written in a broad stroke to offer access to can- any amount of cannabis that you need as long as you have a doctor's uh, uh, recommendation, or not even recommendation, but a doctor's uh, knowledge that you are using it. And that's unprecedented in the world today. Today, we still sit in California with the most progressive cannabis laws in this country and in some ways in the world. And to give those up to create a very hyper-controlled, heavy-handed uh, legalization model would be, uh, it'd be tragic for the state. Mm. So, obviously, you and I both have been in this industry for many years, and we have many mutual friends. I mean, the cannabis industry is generally a lot of people that get along together. We support each other. But this proposition has, I've observed, kind of create this split. And, you know, some of the longest cannabis advocates are supporting this bill and, and backing it. And, I'm, you know, I have close friends that are totally for it. Um, and obviously I, I don't let politics get in between my friendships or my relationships, but why would someone support this bill, you know, uh, like some of the biggest uh, hemp and cannabis advocates? What would be the reasons that they would support this? Well, we finally got some clarity in that recently when uh, Chris Conrad admitted that he's not only getting stipends, but he's also gotten a grant so he can avoid paying taxes um, on to support Prop 64. So some of the oldest surviving cannabis activists in the state, we don't know what they think about this. We know what the DPA, which is funded by George Soros, wants us to think about this. Because once they're on the payroll, once they finally admitted they're on the payroll, then we know, oh, this doesn't have to be what you think. This is what you're being told to tell us. And it just takes a couple little seeds like that. That's why they're willing to pay people like Chris Conrad 
to basically lie about this initiative to the public because he is one of the, um, you know, elders in this community, one of the respected published authors in this community. And, uh, and many of the people who Chris Conrad stands on the shoulders of aren't here to, uh, to speak for themselves or to set him straight or to counter the argument. So getting people on board like Todd McCormick and Chris Conrad was very important to them early on, paying for the endorsements of the NAACP and ACLU, and of course they already had the, the, the cannabis groups, the Normal and ASA and MPP in their pockets. So yeah, no, Sean Parker, this is globalist uh, politics. This is big. They are maybe teen to $20 million officially into this, and I suspect there's another 5 or $10 million that's been spent just kind of on the side. Uh, getting this campaign moving forward. Because, again, it is truly one of the worst initiatives we've ever read. But it's got – it's tricky. It's slippery. It says things in it that aren't true. And so people can very easily fall into the – but it says right there on page four it won't affect Prop 215. But it very clearly does. And so, again, the idea of putting up uh, more than one truth at a time is not beyond the uh, the globalist agenda. They, they're more willing to lie or distort or, uh, you know, it's, it's it's not a fair game they're playing. They would just be honest about what the ultimate agenda is. And that's really where you get to the heart of this. That's where I found it the easiest to, to choose my side. And besides the details of the initiative is who who wrote this? Where Where is this coming from? Oh, Dr. Donald Lyman, proponent of this, he hates cannabis, and he thinks of all the daily users of cannabis as poor, pathetic drug addicts that he's going to help cure and solve with this initiative. He told the L.A. Times that less than a year ago. And then you got people like Gavin Newsom, the uh, lieutenant governor, who, again, his blue-ribbon panel helped develop and design the actual wording on this initiative. He uh, also hates cannabis, has never smoked it before, and really honestly hopes to live he, – he's got younger daughters – and he hopes his daughters can live in the state for the rest of their lives and never have to smell marijuana. That's delusional. This is California. If you think you're going to be governor of this state for the next eight years and then uh, you know, live out the rest of your life here with your family and have your daughter never, ever smell marijuana, it's like saying I'm not a drinker, so I hope my kid never has to see somebody drink a beer. It's just mean-spirited and, and again, and delusional. And yet you see a mindset, you see a world where these people think they can change and morph the world around their worldview to where we will sit quietly in our living rooms and smoke a little joint and hope the neighbors don't smell it and complain about us. That's the future they hope to lock us into. They hope to permanently lock us into second-class status. These are like modern Jim Crow laws. This is like, oh, yeah, you're free. But you're never going to be as free as me. You're never going to be like the drinking community. You're always going to have to be marginalized and scared and belittled and be mean and de- de- demeaned to be a cannabis smoker in California. And that's the exact opposite direction we want to go with legalization. I think we have shown cannabis to be cannabis to be a healthy part of modern culture. We've identified the endocannabinoid system and dozens, if not hundreds, of useful therapeutic uses for cannabis. And ultimately, we're finding out that to getting off of petroleum. Ultimately, we're going to, in the next short while, in the next couple decades, we have to do a radical transition on how we run the world, and we could do that with, uh, well, there's very little we can do that with besides hemp as far as an actual resource that could fill the void of petroleum. So I believe the ultimate takeover of cannabis isn't so much about who's going to sell who cannabis here in California, although that is very important, you know, smoking cannabis joints, but 
who's going to ultimately control cannabis's bigger production, which is going to be food, fuel, and fiber, as well as medicine. So they are which only trying really to get it. Yeah, my focus is here on Hempaware Radio and with Hempaware.com, Bull Camp Warehouse. I've always been on the side of industrial hemp as far as utilization, advocacy, uh, education, and distribution. Uh, and you know, I want my main objective in bringing you on the show was to share your perspective of Prop 64 but also to discuss what it means for industrial hemp. What, what does the bill or the prop proposition say? What, what does it mean for industrial hemp? What could it potentially, uh, you know, do for other states, uh, for the rest of the country? What, you know, how, how crucial is it that, that um, passing this bill um, or not passing this bill will affect industrial hemp? Because right now, um, you know, industrial hemp is not really being grown in California. And I know there's a few um, colleges that are involved in pilot projects. But, um, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the industrial side for a few minutes. Yeah, like after 10,000 years of documented use on this planet, we don't know enough about industrial hemp to just allow the public to grow it. Yeah, this idea that we can hand it to a couple right. of universities, we can let DARPA, we can let some, you know, some big globalist agendas get started on researching cannabis hemp is just, again, it's moronic. And if you don't know anything about the situation, maybe it kind of sort of makes sense. But once you start to understand cannabis and what it really is to our culture, you see that these are all, you know, they're all scams. This is all one lie within another. We, uh, uh, yeah, again, I believe ultimately creates such a, 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 a fear-based reaction to cannabis. Uh, we will, we can let this dangerous drug into the market, but we're going to have to be very careful and we're going to have to be extremely cautious. So, you know, they say you can have up to six plants, but every county and city is going to be able to decide what that really means down the road. So it could ultimately be you can have one plant, but you got to pay $1,000 a season for it and you have to let people come to your house every month and walk through your house and you got to do, they can do anything they want with the, the, the future growth of cannabis and that includes hemp. So if they hyper-control the cannabis market, ultimately they're going to hyper-control the hemp market and that might have been the reason for prohibition altogether. A hundred years ago, they might have been looking at, well, we know petroleum is not going to last forever. This is a great gig, and we're going to make a trillion dollars off of it. But at some point, we're all going to have to go back to the thing we've been using for 200,000 years. And uh, and at that point, how do we do it? How do we stop 100 million hemp farmers from each making their little piece of the pie? Because they've got a paradigm now where 1,000 people control the world's resources in petroleum, and, and, and they profit off of it to that ratio. So if you were to split that back up to 100 million hemp farmers, that would be a much smaller piece of the pie for many more people. And that goes against, again, mm-hmm. the globalist agenda. So if, if they can create a fear around cannabis, if it can be this one dangerous narcotic that they allowed in, because, you know, they're compassionate people and they want to help us, they can justify the, 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 the only five or ten farmers that are going to be allowed to be involved in the cannabis industry because, you know, Something could go wrong if you just let any old Joe grow a field of hemp. Nobody's quite sure what that thing is, but that's going to be the the premise they use to continue the petroleum paradigm while transitioning over into hemp, and hence ultimately keeping the profits into a very small hands, you know, group of people, hands of people. 
Ellen Brown put forward even a more compelling argument against Prop 64. She's saying that that's so much money, eight, ten, twelve billion dollars a year. Somebody's going to be able to profit off of this, and we would love that. 150,000 growers here in California, but more likely, or their their agenda is to make it, you know, several hundred growers, a thousand growers, very tightly controlled, big money people, and behind them, profiting the, the largest chunk, the largest piece of that pie will go to Monsanto, this despised company that you know should have been shut down many many decades ago, but somehow through political and you know in, intrigue and you know the, the 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 twisting of our system, Monsanto's continued to go and grow and keep getting bigger, and yet they're losing markets all over the world. Russia has officially kicked out Monsanto as almost all of Eastern Europe, more of Central Europe, a lot of South America and Asia is phasing out Monsanto for for agriculture. So they're left at a, a, a paradigm shift here in the next few years where Ellen Brown uh, speculates that they might shut down. Without a cash cow as big as California cannabis, Monsanto might not survive the next five to ten years. And this is world-class journalists in a series of articles about this. This isn't just me speculating on this. So what went from, well, we can try to save California cannabis, we can preserve Prop 215 rights, save the opportunity to do something better down the road, and, you know, make sure we have fair access to cannabis, turned into, oh, we might be able to shut down Monsanto. If Monsanto can't grab this cash cow in California this year, they might not survive the next five to ten years. Oh, that's where I tripled down two, three months ago and said, all right, mm-hmm. I'm in this to win this. I was already, you know, had made the dedication mm-hmm. to follow this through. That ability to wake up every single day and focus on this, really came with the realization that this isn't a California issue. This is a global issue. And Monsanto, mm. from my point of view, and a lot of smart people I know say they might be one of the greatest threats to humanity. Any one of these experiments mm-hmm. they've done that just kind of continues to spiral off in the wrong direction could take us all out. So the ability to actually stop one of the greatest threats to humanity is uh, is a potential this year in California by shutting down this this insane 62-page proposition, UMA. And uh, we're doing our very best, and we're mm-hmm. watching it go very well. Again, they were polling at 64% two months ago. The last two major polls both put them at 51% in the last two weeks. So they are just barely holding on to a lead of sorts. And with that kind of momentum, you can say they're actually losing. They're actually they're continuing to go down. The next step is technically they won't be over 50%. And if we can keep them below that till, uh, till November 8th, this is over, over and done. And hopefully wow. the, the secondary issues, we send a message to the world like Ohio did last year, don't give up your future for a, a convenient globalist big money paid initiative that, you know, they call legalization, but we all kind of know it's not. We know it's not going to be what we're thinking about. We know it's certainly not what Jack Hare and the pioneers were talking about along the way. Peter Tosh would never get behind this kind of craziness, um, even if it wasn't Sean Parker involved, even if it wasn't the guy who destroyed the music industry, which it is. Because, um, you know, parallel there, we can look at the cannabis Napster that they're trying to push in California right now. That's one of our favorite hashtags, no canna Napster. Because we watched Sean Parker mm. destroy the music industry 15 years ago. But we didn't vote him in to do it. We just watched him do it. He just did it as a private thing to do the same kind of business model 
but he needs us to vote it in? I mean, how, 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 how bad, how dumb would we feel if we voted in Napster? 15 years ago, we had a ballot initiative where we voted in saying and it destroyed the music industry right in front of our eyes. That's what we're looking right. at right now. We're looking at voting in an initiative that's going to destroy one of California's primary businesses. Mm-hmm. So where we're going to regret it go, down the road. One of the things that I have have had a hard time finding are people having intelligent discussions. One, you know, someone for Prop 64 and someone uh, against it, like yourself. Are are there any articles? Are there any audio, video that someone can go and listen to both sides? Um, of of the of the case and and with that said, you know what are some of the arguments or points that people that are for Prop 64 are making and, and um, you know that would basically try to validate what they're what they're proposing. Like what what are their points? How, how are they saying that it is going to benefit? And uh, and then back to my first question: Are there are there places where people are actually discussing this in intelligent ways, with you know just just saying, well, here here's how I see it, and here's how I see it. Do you know of any websites or any um, yeah recordings? Absolutely, there are several debates that have actually gone down in the last several months, which is great because we tried since day one, since the initiative was first proposed to set up a, a series of debates and really delve into the issues. And they avoided them. They set them up and canceled them with us over and over. We saw that they didn't want to debate with us. And then finally, as the months wore on, several debates have unfolded. Uh, Lanny Swerdlow debated uh, Letitia Pepper at the Laguna Retirement Community. There's a big pro-cannabis retirement community down in Laguna Beach, I believe. Mm. And, um, she went down there and had a debate with Lanny in front of the full audience. It was recorded. It's up on YouTube. And it was fascinating to watch because, again, uh, to watch somebody like Lanny Swerdlow, who's supposed to be a representative, he's a big wig in the Brownie Mary Democratic Party trying to legalize cannabis, just get up there over and over and say, well, we can't really fight the big business. They're going to take over anyways. And this idea of mega agriculture, getting it down to 50 cents a gram and yada, yada, yada. There's already concession. There's already this feeling like, well, we've already lost the fight. The globalists are going to win. We might as well just go along with them. That's becoming one of the big themes. And then there was another debate at the Capitol building, and it was actually very fancy and, you know, it was, it was, it was straight out of a Hollywood movie. Is a uh, on the steps of the Capitol building, very dramatic, six mics set up, three pro, three against, and the debate unfolded there that was three hours long. I believe the vast majority, if not all of it, is up on YouTube as well. And uh, I was embarrassed for them. It was their event. They had the audience set up in the yes and no side, and through the course of the debate, debate, everyone who showed up on the yes side moved over to the no side before the debate was even over. And then many of those people were ones who came over and wanted our shirts and our flyers and were particularly offended that they've been lied to and that they had almost been steered off in the wrong direction. But everybody who's watched any of these debates ends up realizing, oh, I'm I'm being lied to. These guys actually aren't telling the whole story. And upon a, a reflection with a little cross-examination, their whole scheme just falls apart. They can't justify locking up 19- and 20-year-olds. They can't justify uh, uh, the potential of 19- and 20-year-olds getting felonies for passing a joint. 
you have a 20 year old come and help you out on your farm, if you have a 20 year old who's part of your 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 crew and he ends up handing somebody a joint, that's a felony. And you and you know and then that the, the snowball of that. What happens to the second or third felony you get? What happens if the third felony is a, your third strike and it's because you handed a joint to somebody because you're not 21 yet? You're 20 or 19 or you know there there are so many problems in this initiative that given enough time and I know we don't have that on your show today, but given enough time delving through each one of them, they don't have the answers. Their answers are always like, well, we can fix this down the road. But Sacramento is going to help us get more liberal with cannabis. I mean, the the entrenched political system is is fascistic when it comes to people's basic rights to enjoy a, a simple flower. So this idea that we're as a voter initiative going to vote as people to then allow Sacramento to do whatever they want for the future of cannabis forever. They can change it however they want, and that should alone terrify anybody in the state. The idea of a ballot initiative is it is the highest law in the state. It's right there next to a constitutional mm-hmm. amendment. It cannot be changed by the governor or Sacramento, which they've tried to do with Prop 215 every year for 20 years. There's nothing they want more than just mm-hmm. get rid of the fair access to cannabis. So this is ultimately the only way they can do it. The only thing that can affect a ballot initiative is another ballot initiative. So this one, even though mm-hmm. they say won't affect 215, it, along with MRSA, guts the core of 215. It'll make it near impossible for 95% or more of the people in the state to get their note. So even if technicalities mm-hmm. do allow some form of medical to stay, they are right. Technically, there will be some variation in medical for a while at least because the same thing happened in Washington. The second state to go medical with the second most progressive laws in America as of several months ago, has no medical status or rights whatsoever. You're a recreational user or you're, you're, you're not. But there's no, there's no rights you have as a medical patient to have more cannabis, to use it in a special way, to get it cheaper, to not pay. It doesn't exist. But they were told the exact same thing we're being told now. This won't affect your medical at all. We just want to be able to allow the tourists to come in and buy weed. Well, everybody likes that idea. That is, you know, on some level, that's what we, you know, we all hope and dream for down the road. We knew Prop 215 was a stepping stone towards a larger goal. But to take a step backwards and say, all right, we've obviously had too much access to cannabis in the last 20 years while we've treated children with epilepsy and we've cured cancer and we've done all these amazing things, that's obviously been too much freedom here. So we've got to pull back on that freedom. Why? How does that make sense? Nobody gets it unless you're on the other end of the argument saying, yeah, I don't want to compete with 100,000 cannabis growers because they all grow weed better than I'm going to be able to. Sean Parker's buddies, they can buy big, you know, 10,000 square foot warehouses. They can buy the lights and pay for everything to get it set up, but they don't have the passion. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have, they aren't going to be able to ultimately compete with the California growing community. So get rid of them. So if they can get rid of them, then they don't have to worry about competing. And then in two, mm-hmm. three, four, five years, California cannabis will be some B-grade, super monotone. Everything will be the same. It'll be the same four strains. You know, be able to get your easy little joints and vape pens at 7-Eleven. But none of it's going to be stuff we want to touch. Again, Ellen Brown mm-hmm. speculates that the whole process of developing a genetically engineered cannabis in Uruguay is so when the door opens in California, they'll have their seed strain ready. So for three years, the government of Uruguay has been promoting this weird genetic strain of cannabis that Monsanto admits in public that they've already tinkered with. 
So there is a mm-hmm. GMO cannabis that's legal in Uruguay and development. They're just starting to actually sell the cannabis right now because for the last three years it's about developing seeds, developing a massive seed bank of this new type of cannabis. Why? Why would they do that? I think it's so they can come um, to California and as they get rid of all the growers here, replace it with something that they can always prove is theirs. Because that's what Monsanto wow. said. During a press conference I watched in Uruguay, they said that the only reason they messed with cannabis is just for identification purposes. They genetically tweaked it so they could identify it separately from all the other cannabis in the world. They weren't actually changing it to change the high or to change the medicinal effects. We can trust them on that. It was really just a cosmetic thing. But that, I well, believe, is the ultimate we, goal, is to purge California, keep the reputation, because everyone in the world knows they want you know, California cannabis, but in a few years, that reputation will mean nothing. Yeah. Well, we only have a minute left in today's show, so I want to thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on and sharing your perspective. <clears throat> I have a, a really strong feeling that people will be able to see through the uh, the lines and realize that this is so much bigger than cannabis. You brought up an incredible point of Monsanto being behind this, and by defeating Prop 64, ultimately we're hopefully uh, you know knocking down the legs of Monsanto and um, stopping them from moving forward in the next five to ten years. Uh, so thank you so much. I really appreciate being on today's show. Um, for our listeners, go back, check out the other resources that Patrick shared and um, do your research, get educated, ask questions, you know, give me a call, give Patrick a call and um, do whatever it takes to, to raise your awareness and, and make the decision that you feel is the highest. Um, thanks so much, Patrick. Really appreciate you being on today's show. Likewise, Prop 64 is rotten to the core. We've got to kick it out the door. Amen. Hallelujah. Peace. Irish.